welcome to the It Means the World of Horror to Me World of Horror podcast. I'm Mom. And I'm Mac. Well, hoes, this week we are diverging from our normal program with a special bonus It Means the World of Horror to Me episode. We are going to be spoiling the film discussed, and we will most likely be using spicy language. Our guest this week is Kat Soule. She is a filmmaker, screenplay consultant, script editor, WoHo, and co-host of the amazing film and screenwriting podcast, Kill the Cat. Kat, welcome to World of Horror. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. Uh, Let's get to know Kat. I mentioned a lot of your credits and roles in the intro. Is there one that you identify with the most, or is there one that is not on that list that you feel you are? Uh, yeah, I guess these days, um, COVID, before COVID, I was doing some set work, used to do some continuity, some first AD work. Uh, through COVID, definitely got more into like the script side of things. Uh, so now mostly a screenwriter and a script consultant, and I give feedback to people. I really, really enjoy doing that. Yeah, so that's mostly what I do for film now. I read that you grew up in New Zealand, and now you're living in Australia. And we haven't been to either place. And I was wondering, were there things that you had to get used to when you moved? Uh, so the cockroaches? <gasps> I actually, um, I was listening to your latest episode, and you said there was like cockroaches everywhere you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. cockroaches under your feet. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's co- there's like little ones in New Zealand, but I think the biggest thing when I got here was like the massive cockroaches, <laughs> which I still haven't quite adapted to. I adapted to the spiders and the lizards everywhere, uh, but just yeah, no, those big cockroaches. Nah, how how big are we talking? Like that? So you got like the little ones, mm-hmm. and then you got the big ones, which are about an inch long. <sighs> Uh-huh. And some of them can fly. <laughs> That's I was scared to ask if they could fly. Because... Yeah. Um, when I first moved here, and obviously poor filmmaker didn't have a lot of money, I was like sleeping on a mattress on the floor because I couldn't get a bed frame yet. And I woke up to something crawling on me. And I woke up and there was just this massive cockroach crawling up my arm. Oh, my God. Mm. So I was actually doing okay with them until then, but that kind of triggered a fight or flight. Yeah. I haven't quite gotten over. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Australia. I actually have a very <laughs> similar story, not in Australia, but it was one of the worst moments of my life was also the mattress was the mattress was on the ground. I don't know if this is a theme with cockroaches, but I woke up because I guess there was a cockroach on the ceiling and it fell down and just landed flat on my chest. And I just was like, ah. no, <laughs> thinking of it now. It's just like, but in a way, it's kind of like, I don't think anything could ever be that bad again. <laughs> that was bottom. Just something <laughs> just about nasty. cockroaches that are so horrifying. Kat, I wanted to ask you about being a writer and about your creative process. Do you keep a journal or a dream journal? Um, I don't, but I definitely have just like the notes app in my phone for jotting down certain ideas. Uh, It's a mess in there. (laughs) Um, And my general kind of rule is if you're still thinking about a project like a year or so later, it's Mm. probably worth doing. I try not to take on too many projects at once. I still do. Um, So I I just have like a queue of things I want to work on one day. And yeah, like I said, if I've had it for years and I still want to write it, it probably means it's a good idea. 
Do you write every day, whether you want to or not? I try to. Uh, I think my philosophy is you have to write most days. I don't quite buy into the you have to write every single day. We need rest. Life gets busy. Some people like me have periods and you don't want to write on your period and that's totally fine. I know people say you have to write every day. I say be kind to yourself. You need days off and write most days. That's my philosophy. That is so reasonable. I'm just going to take your voice and just put it in my brain because I, (laughs) you know, I... I meditated this morning and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this every day, twice a day. I probably won't, but (laughs) that's okay. Yeah. Does it help you or does it hurt your process to work out your ideas with other people? Depends on the people. Sometimes I find if you announce announce an idea too early, it runs the risk of people giving you advice when you didn't ask for it or people starting to compare it to things they've already seen or read. Um, So it doesn't quite get that um, like time to grow in your brain before it's ready. Sometimes if you have like a good premise and you can sum it up in a couple of lines and you pitch it to people and they're like, oh, that sounds really good. That probably means you have a good idea. But beyond that, I keep it to myself until it's ready. Uh, My general rule is I write until I can't give myself notes anymore. Uh-huh. And then I show it to other people. Because again, if you show it too early and it's too rough and you get some bad feedback, it can be really discouraging and hard to come back to projects. That's so smart. Is there a particular time of day or a particular activity that seems to allow more ideas to come to you? I'm a morning person. Um, so I like to wake up and write. I can't write in the evening. Mm. Um, ideas wise, the usual like shower, going for a walk. But basically, whenever there's nothing else around to distract you, and if you can like take your headphones, I think that's why a lot of people have ideas in the shower, because there's no music, there's no screens, it just lets your brain rest for a bit, and then it can start coming up with ideas. That is such a thing I've been trying to think about and be mindful of lately, because I kind of had a moment earlier this year where I just realized that absolutely every single moment I could, I was looking at my phone and like needed something to, but I was like, why don't I just sit alone? And then, you know, and I was feeling really stressed out and really like aimless and stuff. And I just realized I was like, oh, it's just because I'm not actually consulting with like my brain, you know, I just keep, and it's not even like your phone makes you that happy. It's like, you'll refresh like once you realize you're refreshing an app i feel like that's like okay you got to put the phone away (laughs) that's very normal during covid right like we were all at home with our screens there were kids at this gathering i was at last night and and we were just talking about you know two years in a child's life is a lot longer adults we all went through a lot anyway but just thinking of like two whole like academic years in a child's life and how yeah I mean, of course they were on screens because that was the way they could keep in touch with their friends. But yeah, I'm the same as you, Mac. I'm just, I have to consciously make a decision to like turn it over or put it in a different room or something. I I saw this meme that was, it was like, you know, watching a fantasy movie and you're thinking, well, if it was me, I just simply wouldn't look at the crystal and I would avoid its thrall. But then (laughs) you can't stop looking at your phone. So no, you wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Kat, do you write in longhand or do you type or do you record your work with your voice? Absolute typing. 
just typing all the time. I did try for a bit when I had like a wrist injury to do like dictation and I absolutely hated it. (laughs) It's the worst. Something about hearing what you're writing out loud as you're trying (laughs) to write was really hard because it all sounds awful. And longhand, (laughs) no, I like um, just a no, flat no. Because when you're typing, I like that you can so easily go back and edit something. Control F. As opposed to longhand, if you mess it up, you can't go back. So, yeah, I am 100% a typist when it comes to writing. Do you think there are any longhand? But I think people your age, you two, I don't think there are people who do longhand anymore. There are. There are? Yes. (laughs) And if they do it, they're really into it. (laughs) Okay, I got you. (laughs) <laughs> I know some, I can't name any off the top of my head, but I know some famous writers like to write the first draft out by hand and then go type it up. I could never. I guess it does sort of, you know, get in there differently when, you know, with, with teaching people like elementary age people, we always said you should write it and say it. So that mm. way you get it through your hand, your voice and your ear. So you get it, you know, in these different modalities, but You'd be the most annoying kid in class ever. <laughs> well, you wouldn't do it in class, Matt. <laughs> and Kat, I asked you these questions before, but I loved your answers. So if you don't mind, do you see the world in a narrative framework? Uh, yeah, I do. So there are three types of character arcs you can have. You can have positive, flat, or negative. That's based on K.M. Wyland's Creating Character Arcs. That's such a good book. So yeah, I guess I started seeing like my life in hopefully positive change arcs. So when you you have a hero, you have a fatal flaw for the hero to overcome. So sometimes it's kind of nice to like look at your life in that way and be like, what's my fatal flaw that's holding me back? And like wants versus needs. And then if you can afford it, you go to therapy. Um, but in general, you try and work out how to overcome that and like have a positive change arc. And then hopefully one day you can end up in like a flat change arc, which is like when you're so solid in your beliefs that you can challenge the world around you. I'm not there yet. I don't know who is. We have an episode on Captain America. He's there. He's got a flat change arc. Oh, he's there. Yeah, Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. My favorite Marvel character. We do like Steve. So yeah, I guess when I see the world in a narrative framework, that's kind of how I see see things. I love that so much because I think... I get so tunnel vision with my own problems. And if I, I try to describe it as the most basic thing ever, and it makes it seem so much less of like a huge weight. Like if I just think this 25 year old man, like did this today, you know, it makes, (laughs) it makes it feel better than like me, Mac, I need to do this. Um, I totally see what you're talking about. I like this question because, um, I used to have a friend who was a a hairstylist and she saw the world in terms of good and bad haircuts. So (laughs) I just think it's, yeah, I do think it's interesting, like how we view the world. It's like a fun short film or like short, short story idea in that. Well, there you go. Yeah, that would be great. Kat, what's the best part of your work and what's the worst part of your work? Um, Best part of my work... Uh, as like a script editor, sometimes I get repeat clients. So it's like nice to see a script or even like a writer. If I've seen multiple scripts of theirs progress, mm. um, that's really nice. Um, also very common if you're a script reader, most of the scripts you get are bad. <laughs> um, 
So reading bad scripts, but then also trying to find a way to phrase feedback so it's constructive because uh, you can't just tell someone their script is bad. Uh, you have to tell them how to improve it and like try to find something nice in there to say. You must get so creative. Uh, I actually find myself repeating myself like a lot. Um, <laughs> I find a lot of like beginner writers make the same mistakes. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, worst part. Actually, I don't actually mind that. It's when writers give you their scripts and they don't actually want feedback. They just want you to praise them. And they get really upset when you actually have feedback to give them. So I've had a few, like, angry clients. So that's never very fun. Um, That's unfortunate for them and to to not take it. I feel like with writing, though, it's like you're putting putting yourself – out there I think it I used to read poetry in bars and you know I if someone didn't like a poem I felt like they were saying they didn't like me or they didn't like my thought or they didn't like yeah I could see how people could get very sensitive yeah like you said a writing is a part of you and it doesn't matter like what the story is or what you're writing it for like it's always personal So when someone comes and says they don't like something about your script, it is very hard not to take that as they didn't like something about you. Hmm. Yeah, That's a good point. I, (laughs) I was just thinking, I I really like proofreading things. Um, I know it's definitely obviously not the same as that being your job, but um, I was just thinking nobody was ever mad when I did that in school because I would be, I would go absolutely ape with that red pen and like, give them way more feedback than they ever wanted. But I think because they did not want to write that, they more so were like, why are you being extra? But not, um, <laughs> you're hurting my feelings. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, <laughs> I if, there should be a warning, I don't know, for a person like warning sensitive. Well, yeah. And um, I ask as well, like what level of feedback do you want? Mm. Do you want mild, medium or spicy? Mm. A lot of people say they want spicy feedback. They don't want spicy. Feedback. <laughs> uh, some people come in and they're like, "Give me harsh criticism. You can absolutely rip my script script apart." And I'm like, "I'm not. I don't actually think you want that." And it's totally yeah. fine. Like sometimes, if a project is really personal to me, I'd be like, "I want very gentle feedback, please." Aww. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I want I want constructive criticism, but this means a lot to me. Please be very gentle. And I think that's like totally okay. Also, just anyone reading scripts out there, never give unsolicited advice. It's it's like any other kind of consent. Never give feedback on a screenplay unless the writer has given you permission. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see it. Like, I can just see it. In your eyes. On. I see it in your eyes as well. <laughs> yes. It's a haunted look. Yeah. Kat, you and Ibby produce my favorite podcast, kill the cat and I wanted to ask you you some questions about that Uh, how did you meet Ibby so we met we both went to Sydney film school back in 2016 2017 Uh, so I moved over to Sydney to go to Sydney film school ended up living in Sydney a bit longer than I intended because of COVID but it's going really well so that's fine so we met he was the DOP on my student thesis and I was the script consultant on his student thesis and we just discovered that we work really well together we work on similar wavelengths Uh, we have really similar senses of humor which is really important because we've done a lot of comedies together yeah and then we just kept making stuff together so 
Uh, my YouTube channel is Cat Soul, his is Abraham Farage. And there's a number of projects on both of those YouTube channels that we've both worked on. I'll put those in the show notes, but as well as Kill the Cat podcast, which every Woho should be listening to, you should check out Cat and Abraham's channels. On There's a lot of Thank good you. stuff on them. And what prompted the two of you to do a podcast? Was that a COVID project too? So we started before COVID, but the original idea was actually to make video essays for YouTube. Um, and Ebby came to me with the idea of what if we did like a podcast to talk about our process and like what we'd learned. And then we went and made a video essay. And then we really discovered really quickly that we don't like doing video essays. <laughs> uh, we knew there were going to be a lot of work, but they're a lot of work. So much. But we really, really enjoyed doing the podcast. So we decided, you know what, let's ditch the video essay idea. It's still something I'd like to come back to one day. I don't think either of us have time. Uh, but yeah, we kept up the podcast and really enjoyed doing it. We only do it once a month because that's kind of what we have time for. But better than not doing it at all. Uh, yeah, one of the things I really love about it is that it is once a month. And it's so concentrated on one topic. And you take one topic and apply it to one property. And that makes it super clear. It really does help me to look at movies and, and TV shows in a different way. So really recommend it. Yeah, I think that's left over from the video essay idea that we were going to have one thesis statement per film instead of just discussing films as a whole. Do you have a favorite episode that you've, that you've done? Oh, that's a hard question. Okay, we haven't actually released it yet, but I did mention that we did a Captain America episode. We did that with Brian Bittner from Lessons from the Screenplay, and he's also from the podcast Beyond the Screenplay who I listened to all the way back in film school. Yeah. So to like kind of progress from like, oh, I used to listen to these guys in film school to help me learn uh, wow. screenwriting and then to get one of them to come on the podcast was quite oh, special. Yes. I also really enjoyed, we did a BBC Sherlock episode, which was interesting. Um, as I talk about in the episode, I was a massive like Sherlock fangirl um, when Me that too. show was really popular back when I was 19. And then sort of dismissed it as like my weird like Sherlock fangirl phase and kind of threw the show away as well as really bad. So it was actually nice to come back to it and be like, oh, most of the show, especially the first two seasons are really solid. And there was a reason I really enjoyed the show before season four and all the creators mean comments about the fans. So, yeah, I think that was like a nice personal episode. Yeah, that's great. I I like that too, because I've, I've gone back and looked at things that I really enjoyed when I was much younger. And yeah, some of them are actually quite good. <laughs> and so that's a nice feeling. I also feel like there are times when there are properties, shows or books or whatever that because they're kind of a part of a moment for a lot of people on the internet is some kind of feelings about it might rub off because like, sure, nothing's like the greatest thing ever, but sometimes people, I can, I totally have felt very similarly about things like Sherlock where once people start adding dissenting voices, you start thinking like, uh, yeah, this thing, it stunk. Um, but I mean, obviously people can dislike it and you can also be like, I like it. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I've I've felt that way about things I've used to like before, just based off of looking back and kind of cringing at it. Yeah, so it was like a nice reminder that there was a lot of quality to be had in that show, despite later problems. Mm -hmm. 
Kat, do horror movies scare you or are there subjects that you avoid? So when I think about like horror movies I like, I kind of like things like Get Out and A Quiet Place. Uh, So more like suspense theme driven horror. I'm not really a fan of, say, like torture porn. Um, so, so like the Saw movies, for example, which is just people getting like hacked up and stuff, doesn't really appeal. Uh, the, I think the scariest thing I've ever seen is The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, mm. that's the TV yeah, that's show. pretty good. That is very scary. Or like the film we're going to talk about today, which is Coraline, which is kind of more like the creepy side of things. But it is. So I really like creepy things like Caroline or there's a podcast out there called Welcome to Night Vale, which isn't like outright scary, but just yeah, a little weird and creepy and like a little funny as well. I also like comedy horrors. They're, they're fun. Well, maybe we should transition into Coraline. Kat, you should start. What is your connection to this movie or what's your history with this film? So this is one of those fun movies that I've seen a lot, but I can't remember watching it for the first time, which is fun because it feels like it's always existed as part of my consciousness. Like there was no first time I watched this movie. It's just always been around. I probably watched it about once a year. It's great every time. I really like movies where I don't have any comments like on how it could have been better, Uh, which is nice because it's kind of hard to turn off your script brain. Sometimes. Yeah, and it's creepy. I love Neil Gaiman so much. Very sweet. He's on Tumblr, if anyone ever wants to go check out his Tumblr answering questions. He lives in New Zealand, um, and he wrote this for his daughters to teach them how to be brave. Oh, that's really sweet. Oh, gosh. That is, like, so (laughs) sweet. Yeah. But I, the the movie is so sweet. Like, I, well, do you mind if I interject? No, (laughs) No, not at all. I watched this in theaters with mom. I think I think I we saw it together in theaters, but I was I was like a, a child and so I liked it as much as I liked other things, but watching it today now with an adult brain, I could appreciate so much of it so much more and exactly what you said cat about like there's no comments. It's like I felt the same way. I just kept thinking like, "Oh wow, that's amazing." <laughs> And it really is a great story about, to me, like, just like a basic kind of like fable almost about the dangers of like manipulation too and stuff like that. Like, I I really connected with those themes from like, you know, the other parents, like, and I, I don't know, I just thought narratively it was great and visually it was great. And I loved how like nasty some parts were like I say that like affectionately like there were some parts that I was like oh this is so gross I love it what a great movie I don't remember watching it with you Mac that's no reflection (laughs) on you that's just a a feature shall we say of getting older yeah so I just sort of had this fuzzy kind of memory of it but I watched I've watched it like twice in the last week and it's staggering to me the level of detail but just the the eye that Selick has and the garden, you know, sequence and stuff is just like breathtaking. So, you know, I think it's really great. (laughs) Well, let me do the short plot and the stats and then we can jump into like favorite moments and scenes and what we really love about this film. Wikipedia 
gives us the short plot. It is a 2009 American stop-motion horror film written and directed by Henry Selick and based on Neil Gaiman's novella of the same name. The film tells the story of its titular character discovering an idealized parallel universe behind a secret door in her new home, unaware that it contains a dark and sinister secret. It stars Dakota Fanning, Terry Hatcher, Jennifer Saunders, Dawn French, Keith David, who we found out, shares a birthday with Matt. Oh, that's fun. When I heard him, I didn't realize he was in this movie. And just when I heard him, I just was like, Keith David! <laughs> and of course, Ian McShane. It was released on February 5th, 2009, the running time of 100 minutes. So that's a that's Well, we a good, love that length. That's a good length. Great length. <laughs> yeah, why don't we just jump in and just talk about some of our favorite moments or scenes. What do we love about this movie? Well, Leica Studios, I feel like just does stop motion so crazy well. I feel like the textures of everything you can feel and... I, I just remember this scene was like imprinted into my mind, like when she opens up the shower curtain and like smacks all those bugs on the wall. Like, I don't know, just everything. I like I like visuals where characters obviously don't look like how people look in real life, but you can still make sense of how everything works and they still feel like they exist in this realm and stop motion captures that. I just, I, the weight of her hand slapping the tiles and everything, just all of it feels so icky. It's just so good. <laughs> Were there things that when you think about Coraline that really stick out as like, I think for me, it'll probably be the spider web. Mm. Yeah, that's a terrifying ending sequence. Yeah, it's, it's pretty rough, actually. <laughs> I think if you had seen this at the wrong age, at too young of an age, I, I think you know, like, okay, I'll give you an example. Um, when my older son, Sam, was five, we saw Beauty and the Beast, and he sat on my lap, five years old. And in the beginning of Beauty and the Beast, it goes from the village to the castle, to the village, to the castle. And every time it went to the castle, his body tensed, Aww. and I could feel it. He might have been a little young for Beauty <laughs> and the Beast. I mean, we made it all the way through. <laughs> I don't think there were any lasting scars, but I feel like that image of the spider web is pretty intense. Yeah, I say that's definitely like the scariest bit in the film because most of it is like that surface level creepiness, which I can go into or not go into. Up to you. That was the topic for our episode. Oh, go into oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the idea behind the creepiness is there's a lot of horrifying elements in Coraline, but they're not presented as horrifying. So if we go into like the most like iconic one, which is like they want a little girl to sew buttons into her eyes, <laughs> like that's horrific. But the way it's presented is welcome to the family. Here's a present. It's in a lovely wrapped box. You can pick whatever color you want. If you do this, we'll love you forever. And when she comes in and she first sees like the other mother with buttons in her eyes, she's preparing her a lovely home cooked meal. And everything is warm and inviting. And the real world is dark and gray. And even people in the real world are like animated so creepily. But that's the safe world. So you go into this movie and you're just never quite sure where you are. And it's very disconcerting because you're being told things are dangerous, but you're also being told that things are not dangerous. And that's where like that creepy factor comes from. 
I also was thinking of later on in the movie where when they walk away from the house and, and basically everything disappears and the cat's explaining what's going on, you know, she's like, well, what does she want from me? And he says, well, she wants something to love that's not herself. Or maybe she just wants to eat you. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just thinking of how people throw that kind of imagery around. You know, they might even say to a child, you're so cute. I just want to eat you up. And, you know, kids are literal. <laughs> just the idea that, you know, if you heard that at three or four, you might like really think <laughs> that somebody wanted to eat you up. And that's horrifying. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, if we're talking favorite moments, actually on TikTok at the mo- moment, the other father's song he plays for her on the piano is trending. Oh, nice. Oh, really? Yeah, I love that song. I like the whole soundtrack. It's so good. Um, the bit where she crawls through the tunnel to go get her parents. There's an extended um, scene of that in the novel where she's talking to the cat, which is basically because it's a kid's book. You can say your theme out loud. Um, so in the book, she tells a story about one day her and her dad walked into a wasp nest and set it off. And he told her to run away, but he stayed behind so he would get stung. Oh. Um, so he asked. Uh, and then he lost his glasses. So Coraline asked him later after he went back to go get his glasses, were you scared when they were stinging you? And he said, no, not the first time because there was nothing else to do except let Coraline get away. But he was scared the second time when he had to go back to get his glasses because he knew the danger was there and he had to make himself walk into it. And then the cat replies, oh, is that why you're going to save your parents, to pay your dad back from saving you from the wasps? And Coraline goes, no, I'm going to save them because they're my parents. Yeah. I love that. I that's love great. it too. <laughs> so I see why that's not in the movie. It's too long. Mm-hmm. But that that was my favorite um, bit from the book. When you said the tunnel, though, I also just thought of that. I feel like it being stop motion, again, and having such a feeling of like groundedness they did that scene so well when it first opens up and extends using that. I I, I kind of had a tunnel for my cat like that <laughs> once. And that's just kind of what I thought of. But I but I was just like, that's so cooler than, I don't know, just like zooming out on a door to be like, it's far away. Like you you feel like Coraline. Like I wouldn't want to leave there either. It feels so mystical and, and cool. But I, I just feel like I remember that. And then when you know, you juxtapose that with the the scariest banging on the wall ever. I mean, I find banging on a wall just a horrible sound to listen to in general. So that scene freaks me out a lot. It's just so pretty. Yeah, and she's screaming. She's not even screaming like, I'm coming to kill you or anything. She's screaming, I'll die without you. Yes, yes. It's like a, it's like a guilt trip. Like, Caroline, you're killing me, not I'm going to kill you. The manipulation of everything, I just, it... Just the whole time I was just thinking like, this is a great lesson to learn because I don't know, just, you know, obviously giving you things that you would are like, yeah, oh my gosh, this is great. A home cooked meal. Like you're doing all these nice things for me. And then, you know, when the conditions like arrive and when, you know, then that person, it's almost scarier because they've been so sweet. And I just also feel like it's a great lesson to learn even for me as somebody who's grown up watching a lot of TV shows and movies where it's hyper realism, you know, and I feel like you can kind of 
begin to feel that way of like, oh, you know, I mean, but the real world is so blech and whatever. So I, f- I feel like this is a pretty nuanced and really cool idea to present to children of just like, hey, I know that you think sometimes it does suck. Sometimes it's rainy and nasty in here, but you know, this is real and this is, you can, you can still have a lot of love and, and, you know, a lot of good stuff to find in it. That's such a great thing to teach somebody. That's so true. And I've never seen it through like, I guess almost like a narcissist kind of way of like the other mother Mm -hmm. of she's like, you are an extension of me and you will do and be what I want. And you should do it because I was so nice to you and I gave you all these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like the nuance of like her real world parents aren't like mean or cruel to her or anything. They just ignore her, which is not, you know, wonderful either. Uh, But her like real mom is saying things like, oh, Caroline, I don't have time for you right now. Like we see why Caroline wants to get away. Yeah. But like I said, I read a lot of like first drafts and I feel like the worst writing decision would be, you know, they're mean to her. They're sending her away. Yes. Dursley style. Mm -hmm. I also feel like probably any, I mean, most parents also are working. Like I, I, I feel like this is so much more of a realistic depiction than something like, you know, uh, I mean, Having like a perfect housewife in itself, unrealistic, does not exist. But probably most kids have two parents who are working. And if they're fucking busy, they're too busy. Like they can't, you know, a sad truth of of capitalism. Um, And so I feel like just everybody can probably relate to that. And I feel like there's a great lesson in in all of it of like, you know, the parents too, when they're really interacting with her more and stuff like at the end and, you know, and the mom getting her the, the gloves, yeah. you know, that she wanted, you know, the little, the little things we can do for each other. If life isn't perfect to still be nice to one another. And watching it this time around, I'm like, oh, this feels like such a COVID film. <laughs> like it's two parents trying to work from home with a young child who's bored. Totally. <laughs> the dad's like count the windows i don't know like, just do something <laughs> please let me work i have deadlines yeah right she goes into the water room or something and when she comes back and it says don't press lose all his work <laughs> yeah as a writer i felt that i felt that pain <laughs> he's like crying. i had that to me the other day i thought i had lost uh, about sixty thousand words in a google doc it just oh blipped gosh. and just everything oh vanished. God. But Google Docs saves versions of your work, which is a good thing to know. <laughs> so it could okay. go and like restore the version from that morning. But good. it was just like, oh, a gut drop of did I lose like a year's worth of work because of like a technical glitch? Oh. <laughs> Everybody make a backup right now. <laughs> Always make backups. I wanted to talk about Wyborn, but I also wanted to just mention when the other mothers scheme starts to sort of unravel and the other father has to be controlled by the hands that come out of the piano and stuff that is one of my favorite parts because i love it when like the villain the illusion starts to slip and Coraline doesn't i don't know if she really gets what's happening (laughs) but we the audience do and i think it's pretty it's pretty funny but also scary at the same time it does have that like comedic element when the 
father's like a big pumpkin with like the drooping face and the low voice, which comes back again to like that creepiness factor or um, the podcast I mentioned before, Lessons from the Screenplay. Well, the video essay on it mentioned calls this um, grotesque. Mm. So it, that's when you don't know whether to be scared or whether you should be laughing, <laughs> uh, which just makes you feel really conflicted because the survival part of your brain doesn't know how it's meant to be reacting. And that can make you feel very uneasy. Mm-hmm. I found I found when he was towards the end, the other father, I found all of that quite upsetting. It's like the body <laughs> horror of it. And yeah, his I really can't do with like audio going really like, you know, it's just so scary to me. Matt, I've always, had, always that. had that. Like, you know, you don't even like that part in that Kesha song. There's a part in a Kesha song where <laughs> she starts going, and every time I'm like, ugh, it's horrible. Like, no, not doing that. <laughs> yeah, talking about body horror, um, that opening sequence with the I was the doll. Yes, I was looking. Yeah, at that, I was like, scary. oh my god, <laughs> that's pretty scary. <laughs> Turned it inside out. Ugh. <laughs> So, yeah, that's that creepy feeling again of, like, we know what it's a doll. Like, we know this doll doesn't mm-hmm. feel pain. But we are getting imagery, like, really horrible imagery of, like, people having, like, their, like, lips sliced open and, yeah, like you said, being turned inside out and, like, it's stuffing coming out, but that feels like insides coming out and being stuffed full. So, and because it's stop motion, the people in this world are dolls. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's... That's why this movie is so unsettling because, oh, and like the needle fingers that she's using. Yeah. Because that's her whole world. And we don't know what it is. That's what's, I mean, like poor Wybie, his, his like flat, you know, husk of a body flying in the wind and Coraline, all she can do is just go, oh, poor guy. <laughs> but when you think about that, it's like she removed his stuffing. <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> like stitched his mouth into a grin. Oh. So scary. Uh, <laughs> but how about the real white YB? I mean, I think he's really cute he's and so sweet. Cute. And she, she, she's kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's what, an 11 year old boy? <laughs> <laughs> I know she's just taking it out, but, but just the way he's like, yeah, it sucks. Like, my name sounds like, why were you born? And she's like, well, that's your name from now on. Um, <laughs> I didn't like that. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) she shouldn't address him that way. It makes me feel sad. But um, I thought he was a real sweet guy. That's all I guess I wanted to say about Wyborn. The bendiest neck ever. Yes. (laughs) Kind of like a little like (laughs) Igor vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else you want to talk about about the the film? Any Big, big fan of that little mice, my sequence, the music in it is so good. And I mean, of course, at the end that he's all of them, you know, in a man suit, like, incredible. Did it remind you of Oogie Boogie? Yeah, it does remind me of Oogie Boogie. So in the screenplay, when they're describing him, they just refer to him as a man with too many joints. (gasps) (laughs) Yep. They achieved it. <laughs> but no, you're you're right, Mac. That mice circus where they're all jumping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the, I want to say the instruments, I'm not a huge music person, but I want to say the instruments are slightly out of tune. Mm-hmm. I think so. So it's like, 
it sounds like fun circus music, but it's really like discordant. Mm-hmm. And like throughout the soundtrack as well, they have like children singing, but it's mm. a made up language. So it's again, it's a thing of like, it feels really whimsical and fun, but you have no idea what these kids are saying. <laughs> and it's just putting you on edge. And I almost feel like Coraline herself is a little bit creepy, but I like that about her because for so many of these things that I feel like we, the audience, like you said, are kind of like, hmm, she's like, wow, this is great. I, best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like I, she wasn't horrified, you know, when, when the two ladies unzipped their bodies and jumped out of them. That was my other favorite sequence. I love those ladies and their dead dogs because um, <gasps> I've met wins. 10 million women like that before. <laughs> I did want to talk about those dogs, though, because that is so disturbing. It's so true when those pe- But have you met some people who are like, yes, this is like the fifth corgi I've had. I always get ones that look like this. <laughs> Like what? Yeah, but uh, those like twelve, those twelve Scotty dogs with their like angel wings and everything. I'm like, this is wrong. <laughs> she sewed it for the one. <laughs> Angus is looking a bit peaky. <laughs> and his his eyes are turning that that bluish color that they do turn when they get really old. They get cataracts and stuff. And when they're doing the <laughs> the sequence at the end, just. Before they turn into taffy, um, <laughs> they they're doing the siren and the mermaid. <laughs> How could I forget? And that's the interesting thing of like that is like quite sexualized. Yes. I was thinking that too from like a kid's perspective. So Coraline doesn't, I would say, like doesn't realize that that's like meant to be sexualized. It's just like, oh my gosh, there's like naked ladies. That's embarrassing. Well, that's cringy. Yeah, I think they did that well because yeah. I think. The way she reacts is just like, what? You know, and and that it's funny because I guess seeing, you know, these particular old biddies like, you know, dancing around is also funny. But, but yeah, I agree. It was very much like not sexualized, even though as an adult, I was like, wow, I saw this in the theater. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in real life, if you see like older ladies trying to be sexual, it is a little off-putting, shall we say? So, I mean, I think what's kind of genius about this is it takes all these sort of like things that we all feel a little bit uneasy about and just kind of like throws them all together in this movie. Should we move on to the IMDb trivia? Sure. Sure. There are references to Homer, Shakespeare, and Keats in this film. So pretty highbrow for a kid's movie. <laughs> Apparently, this is Neil Gaiman's favorite adaptation of his work. This is the third stop-motion animated film to be rated PG by the MPAA after The Nightmare Before Christmas from 93 and Corpse Bride of 2005. So there are some differences in the between the book and the movie. And Kat, you've mentioned some of them. Were there any others that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, like you've got in your notes... Um... When you say like Caroline with a lot more like suspicious and intelligent, the book is shorter. I guess like that's the main difference. Like <clears throat> she goes to the other world and then I was so surprised how early on in the book her parents get kidnapped because mm. that's like the third act of the movie and that happens really early on in the book. Uh, YB's not in the book. Aww. Oh, yeah. But I think he's a really fun addition. Yeah. And I think Neil Gaiman saying like this is a favorite adaptation. I guess that makes sense because all the stuff they added to it was essentially what you needed to to take a novella mm-hmm. 
which you can read in like an hour. It's very short um, and turn it into like a feature length movie with three acts. There's a lot in the trivia about how the sets were constructed. And one that I really liked is that the leaves in the scene where Coraline is returning to the well were created by spraying popcorn pink and cutting it up into little pieces. That's very cute. Uh They're so creative. It says one crew member was hired specifically to knit miniature sweaters and other clothing for the puppet characters using knitting needles almost as thin as human hair. My God. Wow. That's amazing. I think that's part of the reason the movie feels so timeless as well. Like it doesn't have an animation style that dates it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Miss Spinks and Miss Forcible's doormat says no whistling in the house. This is appropriate for the actresses as whistling in a theater is considered bad luck. (laughs) Okay. Also the fact that they had like the taffies, like (laughs) in the different like dates. Like different flavors of old crusty taffy. That is so real. Yes. That is so I just real. haven't met these women. Like yes. <laughs> growing up, uh, you know, in Grandpa Ed uh, and and Grandma Lynette, they had like those little dogs, those kinds of like little dogs. So I I have just always associated them with just like old people. <laughs> you mean the schnauzer? Yeah, because the schnauzers. They- yeah, my dad always got schnauzers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really creepy, <laughs> or not? I don't know. People, I don't know. You settle on something that you like a lot, I guess. Oh, we didn't talk about the ghost children. Do we want to mention them at all? That one was so scary. With like there, there was one of them that was particularly frightening. Oh yeah, it was the girl that wasn't YB's. Yeah, with like a really long face. Yes, she was creepy. I like the ghost children. A, like a weird criticism, I guess. Is that a weird criticism? A common criticism, let's go with that. I hear of this movie is like she has to go find the ghost's eyes and then there are like three balls and people are like, shouldn't that be six? Um, but I'm like, no, it's symbolic. Um, and one of the, like, it's symbolic of two yeah. eyes. It's, it's their souls. It's not little eyeballs. She doesn't have to go find six. Uh, and that's one of my favorite things about this movie. I already like it when movies don't try to over-explain themselves. That's why I like A Quiet Place so much. I didn't even think about that. I My mind didn't even go to like, oh, you know, they need these things. I just was like, yep, yep, that child's soul is in that ball. I get it. <laughs> well, if you guys will indulge me, I was wondering briefly, what does Letterboxd have to say about it? This is my new favorite feature. I don't know. And I don't care if anyone else likes it. Elizabeth King gave it five stars. Yeah, this is pretty much what being an only child is like. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Matt gave it five stars. I don't trust people who dislike this. That's very fair. That's how I feel about... Have you have you seen the one star review down there? I was I, I got like we'll I made myself it. mad. I know you like <laughs> Mac like Mac like texted me earlier like what the hell? Okay, we'll get we'll get to it. Bugsy, I don't know what those symbols are. Does anyone know what those symbols are? It's like no, a colon so. comma comma three. Is it like a beard? It's just Bugsy. No, it's Bugsy with a like a like a anyway. Bugsy gave it five stars. Why didn't they destroy the key? I'm going to be hung up on that for the rest of my life. <laughs> Shh. 
They put it in the well. <laughs> Isabel gave it five stars. The satisfaction I get from the little details in this film is unmatched. Same, Isabel. Percy gave it five stars. I want to work in Leica so I can traumatize kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Phoebe gave it a half star. Don't waste your time watching this movie. The old ladies never hook up. Unconfirmed. <laughs> That's true. Olivia gave it half star. I fucking hated this. Ruined my sleepover. Aw, poor Olivia. <laughs> Olivia, it sounds I'm like sorry. a personal problem. <laughs> well, Letterboxd, uh, you know, the reviews are sometimes very personal. Joe gave it one star. I thought that I used to hate this film because it was too scary for me as a young child. Rewatching the film several years later has given me a new perspective. I now hate the film because it is too scary for me as an adult. Joe. It's kind of fair, Joe. It's kind of fair. Well, it's kind of funny is that there were half stars all the way up to five star reviews that all said this movie traumatized me. <laughs> so I guess some people loved it that, that did that and some people hated it that it did that. Just gave it one and a half stars. I had no idea what was going on. Pretty rubbish, but it was very pretty. Okay, uh, Jess, this is a film for children and it's a fairy tale. <laughs> so I'm going to judge you and not the movie based on that review. All right. <laughs> Medusa gave it two stars. <laughs> I've never seen low key abbreviated like this. Is this Me a neither. <laughs> Coraline's loke, but low key. A bitch. Like, I get it. Your <laughs> mommy and daddy don't love you. So what? You've never experienced the highs and lows of high school volleyball yet. <laughs> that, That's the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just wait till Coraline 2. Okay, here we go, Mac. Do you want to read Christopher Lutz? <laughs> Christopher, um, I don't know what I'm talking about. Lutz gave it two and a half stars and said, is there an actual metaphor here or is it just random crap strung together? What? Uh, Christopher, <laughs> there's a very, very clear metaphor and moral because again, it's a kid's film and it's a fairy tale. <laughs> it's about being brave and being grateful for what you already have instead of chasing what you cannot want. I can't imagine watching this and just being like, so what's the, pl what is it? <laughs> like... <laughs> It was just this is random crap. Bishop Brown gave it three and a half stars. Keith David in all things, please. Agreed. Agreed as well. All right. Do we want to rate this? Rate it in buttons. <laughs> yes. We usually rate things out of five. So, what do you think, Cat? I give it five buttons. Okay. Um, like I said, <laughs> I really can't find fault with this movie at all there's not a lot of movies i can say that about it's yeah i think this is as close to a perfect movie you can get and i think you can just feel the care and the love for the movie just radiating off the page like you said someone like knitting all the handmade sweaters uh the amount of time and effort that have clearly got into the script yeah five, five buttons you can have two and a half children with five buttons <laughs> Mac, what say you? I will also give it five buttons. Um, I echo everything Kat said, and I just truly 
it does seem like it is a timeless movie and I love everything about it. Okay. I'll give it five too, because I don't want to argue. No, <laughs> no, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it is perfect. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing, but I feel like sometimes things are perfect and you just don't like them. And I That's do fair. like it. I like it fine, but I'm not, I'm not over the moon about it, but I, I can see the quality in it and I enjoyed it and I think it's very effective, but I don't know if exactly it's for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's totally fair. I'll accept it. Uh, what have we learned from this movie? Looks can be deceiving, except, well, I think I would expect somebody with button eyes to be weird. Trust your gut. But how about don't let people steamroll you with like gifts and seeming kindness, like be suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Don't trust anyone. Okay. No, that's not what I meant, but. Especially your mother. <laughs> Especially your mother. Never trust your mother. No, never. No, <laughs> yeah, don't trust that. your mom. It's <laughs> established. All right. Uh, would we watch this movie again? Yeah, I watch this every year. Yeah. Easily. I watch it many times and and if I have kids, they will also be traumatized by this movie. <laughs> All right. So Kat, if you do have kids, what age would you at what age would you introduce them to this movie? That's a good question. Um I guess maybe like maybe ten or eleven, like same age Caroline is. Like I said, I didn't have the experience of like watching this and being like traumatized. Um uh, like some people say they were I've just always really liked it but I was something of a creepy kid I don't like but like I say that my like childhood trauma comes from like things like Spongebob Squarepants because I can't deal with that kind of animation really oh, that's so interesting no, I find that animation so scary where like this I find really pretty interesting okay I do feel that yeah. way about Ren and Stimpy it creeps me out oh that too i just yeah there's something about that animation style that really gets to me it's upsetting huh interesting we need to do a <laughs> deep dive study on that or yeah courage the, <laughs> courage the cowardly dog yes yeah, very creepy that, also yeah, that that animation that nah, can't do it is there, yeah it's something about it's like a it's like an american like kind of like squid <laughs> you know really like liquidy style almost but i just feel like people find ways to get real nasty with it <laughs> who wins the you fool award there aren't that many characters to be fair so that, okay this is the meanest answer <laughs> um the three kids who got made to <laughs> let the mom take their eyes i'm just that's kidding so true, though. <laughs> no but that's true <laughs> Because I feel like you would have, you should have the normal reaction from Coraline of just like, no. <laughs> there wasn't a second when she considered it. Should we go into the outro? Sure. Thank you for joining us for this episode and for all your support. It means the world of horror to us truly. Special thanks to Kat for joining us. Next time in the main app, it's Mac's pick of genre, and Mac has chosen Killers with Ichi the Killer from Japan and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer from the U.S. 
My picks are about possession and will include Possessor from Canada and Metamorphosis from Korea. We also want to let you know to look out for some bonus minis coming in our Foundational International Horror Series. It's time for parting shots slash plugs or stuff you want to promote. Mac, why don't you go first? Okay. I stream on Twitch at the Gay Jimmy Buffett on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So you should come by and say hi. And Kat, what about you? Yeah, so I'm I'm Kat from Kill the Cat Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. Uh, generally, all the podcasting apps are on there. Just remember, we're like Save the Cat, the famous screenwriting book, but we kill the cat instead of saving it. That's my favorite podcast, y'all. So you should check it out. You should check it out anyway. Well, Hose, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at worldofhorror96 at gmail.com or catch up with me on World of Horror Podcast on Instagram. Remember, we love you and don't go into the basement. <laughs>